everyone, and welcome to the Pivot Podcast. Each week, join career coaches and Pivot Discovery co-founders, Alexandra Balistrieri and Kimberly Tilly, as they interview an extraordinary and inspiring guest who successfully pivoted away from unfulfilling work to pursue their dreams. Benefit from their insight and experience and leave with actionable tips to reframe your future. This episode contains content that some may find disturbing. Listener's discretion is advised. Welcome to this week's episode of the Pivot Podcast. My name is Kimberly Tilly, and I'm here with my co-host and Pivot Discovery co-founder, Alexandra Balistrieri. And today we're so pleased to be joined by our guest, Kurt Peterson, who is a senior trainer at a pharmaceutical company. Welcome, Kurt. Thanks, Kimberly. Hi, Alexandra. How are you guys doing? Doing great. It's so great to have you here today, Kurt. Yeah, it's really good to be here. I love talking about myself. (laughs) (laughs) Well, why don't you start by telling us where you started your professional career? Well, it was interesting. So I left home when I was, I think I'd been 18 for a week. I just graduated high school. I ended up moving from Sacramento, California to Oklahoma of all places to actually bring my sister who was living there, her car. And then she was living in a, in a university town. So I'm, I really always knew I wanted to go to school, get a great job, thinking of either political science and or law. And I had no direction, no money. I uh, didn't have parents that really put much emphasis on education. There I was, Oklahoma, ended up dro- having to drop out soon. I ended up moving with a bunch of people randomly to Pensacola, Florida. Long story behind that, that we could go on and on about that. So there was 19 Pensacola, Florida, working as a insulating houses and trim carpenter painter. And I knew that really wasn't my life goal. So I just kind of bumbled around and took night classes for a long time, working toward either like a poli sci or business degree. It was probably, it was pretty damn depressing, actually, because I just didn't... (laughs) It just wasn't really going my way. So I had married very young at 19, just trying to figure my way through through my life in Pensacola, Florida, which was people in Florida, let's just say were very different than the people I grew up with. I was kind of wondering how you found the difference between California and Florida, even with that stop in Oklahoma in between, that's still quite a culture change. Yeah, maybe, you know, Oklahoma might have kind of readied me for it, maybe, perhaps. But I think that, like, look, just that, just the world points of view, I wasn't raised with any kind of racism or recognizing that people were different just for their sexuality, whatever. It's just that there's a very California upbringing. And that's not what it was there. I actually got into religion, which if you knew me now, you would say, wow, how did that happen? And then what happened after that? But anyway, back to my career, things just weren't going well. Somebody said, why don't you go work in a hospital or become a nurse? And I said, well, I don't even know what that would be. I looked into it a little bit and then no kidding, two weeks later, I get a call from one of my neighbors, Joni, said, you need to go over. John's, who lived two doors down from her, is coming home from his um, stay at the rehab 
for his alcoholism. His brother shot himself in the head and the police took the body, but just left the mess. And we, I don't want John to walk in there and see that. So I told my boss, I left the construction site. I broke into John's house and actually was able to clean up his brother who shot himself in the head. So as you can imagine what that entailed and just cleaned it all up. Didn't bother me. Um, I don't think most people would be able to do that. Yeah, it was, it was really kind of an epiphany. Maybe it's because I grew up in the country, but you just kind of deal with things. Like if, you know, we raised animals, large stock animals and things that happen like that. But I assumed with a human, it would be different, but I just, I had, I had the ability to take care of whatever's in front of me, just get through it. without worry about the details later. So I applied for school and then I kind of chickened out and I gave my spot away. If anybody knows, nursing school is pretty hard to get into. And then about a year later, I just went for it. So that's how I got into nursing. But that really did set me up to do really well through nursing school. And I was one of the few. So this was a long time ago. This was 1990. So there actually were still very few men in my nursing school. And I just was lucky enough to form a relationship with a small group of people that had all done various things with our lives and were just going back. Most of them were going back to school for their second careers. Nursing is a, is a two-year degree, right? It can be. At one point, it could be a two, three, or four-year. So you could get an associate degree, which allows you to sit for the nursing board. And there used to be a diploma program, which was three years. And then you have your BSN, Bachelor's of Nursing Programs. And interestingly enough, the associate degree and the diploma programs have probably double the cl- amount of clinical hours that the BSN programs have. But you're sitting for the exact same board that the BSN nurses would have. But generally in your career, you do go on and get your at least your BSN. So you went, you went into the hospital then after you became a registered nurse, right? Yeah, actually, I was given the opportunity at my first class to work in a trauma center as kind of like a tech and they called it the the unit clerk. You'd enter all the orders in and whatnot. So for the two years I was actually going to school, I could work Friday, uh, Saturday and Sunday, 12 hour shifts. And then that was basically working full time and it allowed me to go to school during the week. So it's kind of a sweet deal. Still in Florida? This was still in Florida. Yep. Okay. And you were pretty young, right? Like around, is it like 20 years old? Yes. Yeah. Mid twenties. It's mid twenties. Wow. Okay. Yeah. And very old mid twenties. I thought I'd been around forever. (laughs) Oh, if I could be back, if I could be 25 again. So So you started off then in the trauma center? I did. What was that like? I mean, it must've been quite a, another shock. Well, it was a different time. It was great. And this was a level one pediatric center. And we live close to the beach. So most of our traumas that came in were from what we call, they were not penetrating. Like, so if you're in a less fortunate, lower socioeconomic part of town, usually the trauma centers see what we call penetrating trauma, gunshots, knives, that type of thing. So most of our patients were either from motor vehicle accidents or 
the kids that came in were beach accidents, and those were really horrible, like a lot of drownings, sand caves caving in, that type of thing. But it was the 90s, so healthcare was a lot less stringent. And we could, especially at night, we could have a whole lot of fun too. So I think that's how we, that was before you had after event meetings to see how people are doing. We just were kind of crazy when the really bad things weren't weren't happening. And everybody in the ER was really close. It was definitely like a family. I think that's a big reason why I loved it so much. Was it a small hospital? It's pretty small. It's 250 beds. And the original emergency department, I think, was 20 beds. By the time I left it, it expanded, you know, significantly. Kurt, were you only in that one role in the trauma center your entire hospital career? No. Interestingly enough, Alexandra, I literally, this is 27 years later, 28 years later, I know two people that I worked with that are still working in that same ER. I stayed there for four years and then I went to work for a heart catheterization lab. So it's a procedural lab where they open up people's um, coronary arteries. So that was something completely different. Wow. So you held several roles at different places in the hospital. What was your favorite one? Favorite's hard to say. I think the group that I had the most fun with was the heart cath lab. As you, you know, the patients come in, you do the procedure and out they go. So you, I think the reason I like that, I love my patients, but I never really thrived when I had to spend all day with them, mainly with the family. So I think that was the fun because what, and I think what was best about it is if you work in a cath lab, you're on call all the time because you come in at night a lot. Heart attacks happen all around. Sorry about that beeping, guys. I'm becoming very popular here for a second. So anyway, <laughs> so it was nothing that our call team, when we got off, we would go and maybe have some cocktails or a lot of times we'd be getting off at six in the morning when the case was over. And so when people are getting their nice little Southern breakfast in Pensacola, we'd be doing something completely different. That's great that you had such a good group of people that you're working with. Would you be willing to share any fun or silly stories? Oh yeah. So we would, (laughs) again, different time. We'd have a lot of characters that would come in drinking way too much. It's a Navy town. They come in belligerent, yelling at the nurses. One of the old grandpa doctors, Dr. McGrew, he's passed now. He would not put up with that. And there were two male nurses, me and my best friend, Tom. Tom's like 6'4", from East Philly, pretty scary looking dude. And at the time, I was probably maybe 145 pounds, (laughs) uh, 5'9", you know, not, but still a guy. And He'd say, boys, I need your help. And we, he'd say, get this boy and put him on the stretcher. And so we'd hold him down on the stretcher. And Dr. McGrew would actually <laughs> suture his ears to the sheet covering the suture and would not let him up until he apologized to all the ladies. Wait, he would suture his ear? <laughs> suture his ears to the bed. Yeah. Yeah, sure would. I mean, nothing permanent, right? <laughs> So that was the 90s. And then I think one of the, my other favorite stories, one of the unit coordinators, secretaries, Karen, she had a soft spot for any animal. So she had rescued a little hedgehog. And if you guys can picture a little baby hedgehog, they're just teeny tiny, fit in the palm of your hands. And probably next to a sloth is probably the cutest damn thing I'd ever seen. And Aww. 
her little sloth was doing well. She was feeding it, dropping, you know, milk every or food every couple hours. And he started just kind of like listening to the left. So we were able to bring him in and the radiologist was a really, really nice guy. So we brought him to the CT department. He did a little CT on the hedgehog and you could never do that again now. And unfortunately, he had like a little bleed. He'd had a little hemorrhagic stroke. He actually, we called up our little anesthesiologist friend and he came and did a a little euthanasia on the little guy so he didn't have to suffer. But those are the kind of things that we used to get to do. And well, so many more that I really can't talk about probably on this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Gotta keep it professional. That was a cute story though about the little hedgehog. Hedgehog. Yeah. At some point, you decided to make a shift and you left the hospital. How did that come about? That happened quite a few years later. I came back to California, finally, to kind of take care of my aging parents. So many life changes. I came back to California. I worked in a hospital in Sacramento with one of the larger healthcare organizations. I was working in the ICU. There was a new chief nurse executive just a really tough chick from Southside Chicago, older, no nonsense, really didn't understand the soft California vibe, but we weren't really happy as nurses at the time. And we were unionized. I was the shop steward and she sent us some homemade cookies to our department. And so I sent them back to her and said, we don't want your cookies. We want the hospital to make patient care safer. (laughs) <laughs> wow, that's such a statement. You sent her back? Her I sent her cookies back. So Martina looked at that. I mean, not right away. Once we got to know each other, she goes, I laughed so hard when there was somebody who had the, let's just say gall to send those cookies back <laughs> that I knew that this was somebody that needed to be in leadership. <laughs> so <laughs> she challenged me to take over the stroke department, which I did not want to do because it was a non, then I would not be part of the union. and. I was a little older in my career, kind of set in my ways. And she's like, nope, I'm not going to take no for an answer. And she hounded me until, uh, and then also she's like, you have to go back to grad school too. I just trusted her. It didn't make any sense. And I did both. I took over the stroke department. I ended up becoming a stroke director for that institution and was maybe six months shy of graduating with my master's when And again, this was in stroke. So then I was given the opportunity to interview at the company I I currently work for, working in their stroke division. Never had worked commercial, been working with underprivileged, underserved hospitals for 25 years. Had an amazing life in Sacramento with my husband and our son was living with us at the time. Great friends, amazing house, great neighborhood. And we thought about completely changing jobs and moving to San Francisco, which in my mid-50s made no sense economically or really emotionally. What convinced you to do it? I love, I love change. I thought, why not? I put in all this effort to go back to grad school and I was ready for something different. My philosophy is when you're looking for change, you kind of gently touch doors. I've learned not to kick them in because that always turns out bad. And this door, working for this company, none of it made sense why I was being considered, but every door I would nudge just kept flying open. Well, you say you like change, but it must have been a very big change to go from working in a hospital to working at a corporation. 
well, it was 25 years of my life, Kimberly, right? So it was, I was really good at it and I knew it. I was very comfortable there. Even though, Alexander, you had brought up, there's probably not an area in the hospital, any hospital that I couldn't work. And I knew nothing about what I was going to. And, you know, I had a family to consider that had lived in San Francisco and really had no desire to go back. Been there, done that. Loved the heat of Sacramento. Loved the slower pace of life. Hated the traffic. Hated the prices. This is when we should be planning on retirement, not moving toward to one of the most expensive places to live on earth. That's a huge change. It's very true. But Kurt, I mean, I am curious. So it sounded like you were, so you're working in this new role in the hospital and then your manager encouraged you to go back to school. Tell us what was that like going back to school after, you know, not being in school for so many years. And it sounds like you didn't complete the program either, correct? I did complete the program before I moved to San Francisco, but it was was literally the onboarding process to get to this particular company was Uh about four months. It took, it took a while. By the time I started to consider it, I actually told them no a couple of times and it was a busy time, you know, because we had an adolescent at home who was not really digging being an adolescent. That was not the easy point in my son's life. <laughs> and my husband was working remotely. He was, you know, we, we talk about not wanting to be in the city, but he was actually working in San Francisco three days a week and then commuting back home. And then I was working full time in this particular degree. I went through University of San Francisco it was designed to be working and go to school. It was a really difficult time, I won't lie. How did that shift over time? Because it seems like you're still in the Bay Area and you seem like you're very happy now. Yeah, it was, was, I just, I don't know, even when I was four, this is going to the way back machine. I remember like thinking, look, I've got way more control over my life than these people that call themselves my parents. I was a really weird, kind of a surly child that way. <laughs> but it just never really dawned on me that I couldn't do it. <laughs> and I was curious, you know, I'm, I'm a very curious person. And I think that's what drives me. You know, damn it, if I'm going to put my mind to it, I'm going to do it, right? If I'm going to spend this money, I'm going to do it. You know, and I'm, I'm still, I'm teaching for the university on the side still. And that's, that's what I challenge my students for every time I teach them, hey, you're, you're spending $65,000. I want you to tell me what you plan on doing with this. And you better have an idea. Kurt, in addition to working at this new pharma company, now you're teaching at a university. What are you teaching? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I guess I forgot to mention that. Healthcare finance. It's for their, their master's of nursing program. But it's for nurses who are currently working as nurses seeking their graduate degree. Okay, so these people have a little bit of work experience under their belt. They're probably like, would you say mid-career? It's, you know, it's interesting. It's all over the place. I would say most of the part, yes, mid-career, looking to go that next step, whatever that means, or people that went through nursing school and just weren't finding opportunities. So they decided to go ahead and get their graduate degree. Those are probably the ones I worry most about because they don't have that experience. Definitely. It's nice to have a little bit of experience under your belt before diving into a program. When did you start teaching? It's been, well, it's been four years ago, four years ago. So a year after I started with the pharmaceutical company. So it's been several years now. Congratulations. That sounds like a great opportunity. 
thanks. It's it's funny to be called Professor Peterson. <laughs> you deserve it. Sometimes I try to make my dog and my husband call me that, but they won't. Do <laughs> no respect at all. And one thing that really strikes me about your career journey, Curtis, that you've spent time in healthcare and corporate and higher education. You've really dabbled in a lot of different areas. Out of all of the pivoting that you've done, what was the biggest surprise or the most valuable thing that you learned? That's a great question. I think for me is if you just slow down and be patient with yourself. Here's a good story that might help explain that. I was, when I I touched upon when I came back to California from Florida to work, and I came to work out here as a traveling nurse. And honestly, it was probably the lowest point in my life. I wasn't able to be around my children. I was back in a state that I grew up in, but really didn't know anybody anymore. Not particularly close with my family, you know, parents, siblings. And I just, I felt like a big loser. And I remember meeting my kids. I flew them into San Francisco because I was working in a hospital way up in Northern California in Humboldt County. So we met in San Francisco and we, we stayed in a hotel, like right off a street called Oyster Point. And I remember like before the kids got in, they're looking at all these amazing biopharma companies. And I'm like, damn, I, you know, I should be here. And where am I? I'm working as this travel nurse up in the Redwoods. Right. So I was really kind of having a pity party. And then literally less than 10 years later, I was working on that same damn street. I mean, to the, the very same road. And I've had other experiences just, just like that. Neighborhoods that I thought I'd never live in that suddenly I'm there. And it's, it's not that I'm anything special. And m- many people work really hard and don't get to realize their dreams, but it just makes me feel very lucky and grateful. And so I think that that's the big lesson for me, that if you just keep working hard and feel, try to feel successful right where you are, especially if you're not a hedge fund manager or something crappy like that. If you do something that fits within your, your moral outlook and you're lucky enough to do that and make a living, just be happy where you are. And those other opportunities, if, again, if you just nudge those doors, try not to kick them in because it's all about timing, good things happen. I love that. That's such an inspiring story. Ah, thanks. Are you a fan of visualizing? I hear a lot of people talk about visualizing. <laughs> so I did a couple of years at this current company in an operations role. And as we know, Oprah has talks a lot about vision boards, right? Right. So for me, my vision board, like people knew if somebody was on my vision board, it was probably not going to go well for that person. So I do believe in cards. <laughs> I just think I use them for a different manifestation. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm working on that. I'm always working on being a better person. So maybe one day I'll reread the secret and get it down. But yeah, I, I do believe in the power of intention. But I also have a worldview and see that there's a lot of people that don't do anything wrong and really shitty things happen to them. So it's a balance for me. Any sense? It does. It's just, I, I sometimes wonder about people who, who have been successful in different arenas like yourself. And if I'm looking at it as somebody who's listening to this podcast and wondering, how could I make a big shift in my life? You know, how could I be at that point where right now I'm looking at something and thinking it's not achievable, 
And 10 years from now, I could look back and remember that when I have achieved what it was that I was looking to do. And I think that the power of intention is a very important piece of that. No, I, I, I see your point. And I agree with it from that point of view. And then I would also might add that it takes, I think success for me anyway, I can only speak from through my own lens is you take small, meaningful, intentional steps towards your goal until something different comes along. And then you take steps towards that goal. Usually if you do, you know, it's like, I'm just going to quit my job and go back to grad school. But that's fine if you're single. But if you take care of anything, a pet, a loved one, that can really feel bad for those around you. Yeah. But if you, like I had one of my best friends, Mark in Florida, he wanted to learn how to play the violin. And he's like, he goes, but I'm 45. I'm like, well, how long do you think it would take you to get good at it? He goes, maybe five, 10 years. And like, you're going to, do you think you're going to live five or 10 more years? He goes, yeah. I'm like, well, start playing today in five and 10 years, you know? You'll yeah, play. that's a great point. It's like five or 10 years are going to pass anyway. So anyway. that shouldn't be a deterrent from pursuing something that you want. I get it. I love instant, instant gratification. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> it really, I have had instant gratification in my life and it does feel good. I'm not going to lie to you, but it's such a minuscule part of my experience. It's usually that, you know, just the one foot in front of the other hard work and work towards a goal. It's kind of boring, but it works. It works for me. Kurt, what do you anticipate the future holds for you? Post-COVID, you know, we're really thinking about things differently. Like what matters, what doesn't matter. I'm lucky enough to live in a really beautiful home, but it's super expensive. You know, you hear a lot of things about downsizing and tiny homes, and everything, but we don't know what all that looks like. But I think, again, we're saying five to seven years, we want to be ready to step away from this amazing house, this amazing neighborhood, our great friends, and just be open to whatever's next. But it will be on a much smaller scale because we, we want to just, we want to travel. Really sad about not being able to travel and just be with people and talk to them, and touch them. I think it's been pretty devastating for a lot of people, but that's great that, you know, you guys already have that outlook and it's something to look forward to and keep you motivated. Yeah. What's the best way for people to reach you? I'm on LinkedIn, just under Kurt Peterson in Oakland, California, until I get to know who they are. (laughs) I'm an open book. I really do love to contact people and I have acquaintances from all over the world. But I am learning that my time is limited, so I like to vet people a little more now. If anybody's interested in development or um, change or anything, I would be more than happy to connect with them. We'll make sure all of this is linked in your show notes. As a final question, what is one tip that you would offer to someone who's in a situation that's similar to yours or somewhere that you've been along the way? God, another great question couple of things. I think one of the tips are you, you really are the only one responsible for your own destiny. Of course, you, you want to consider those around you, but at the end of the day, you live in your own skin. So if there's something that you really want to do, you're the only one that can really stop yourself from doing that. I really do love that. I do too. I just made it up. (laughs) Did you have another one or, or you said you had a couple things? No, I think that's, I think that's at the core. 
Okay. I do really enjoy your advice that you was, were talking uh, about earlier. You know, sometimes making really bold decisions, it could be a little risky or a little intimidating, but just being open to those and just knocking on those doors, you don't necessarily need to open it right away. But as you start exploring and just keep that curious outlook on life, things will slowly start to happen and you'll see opportunities opening up to you. Then it's up to you whether or not you want to take them or not. It doesn't have to be all or nothing. Yeah. And I think just to add on to that, because just like I think I mentioned that I got accepted into nursing school when nobody was getting accepted and I just threw it away. And people gave me a lot of grief about that. You know, like, oh, you'll never get that chance again. Well, I got the chance the next time I applied. So if you if you do or really have a passion for doing something and maybe you, you know, you're, you're not ready, you chicken out a little bit, you know, don't be hard on yourself. Just try it again. Maybe when the time's right. There is, there is some element of timing. Yeah. I like that because a lot of people feel like an opportunity has passed them by and then they're just stuck. And I love that because it proves that you're not stuck. You're not stuck. And, and, you know, you got to get out of the whole age thing. Because I mean, all goes well, knock on wood, you know, we live, a, we live an adequate number of trips around the sun, right? So you do have time. And I mean, hell, with the economy, we're all going to have to work till we die anyway. So <laughs> You were doing so well with your inspirational stuff. <laughs> Kurt, thank you so much for being on the show today. We really enjoyed having you and hope you'll come back next season. Thank, thank you so you. much, Kurt. Absolutely. It was a lot of fun. Thank you, Paul. And that will do it for this week's episode of Pivot. You can find more information about our guests in the show notes, along with our contact information for Pivot Discovery. We provide career services and specialize in helping people make a change to reframe their future. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe and leave us a five-star rating and review in Apple Podcasts. It really helps us get the word out about Pivot. All right, guys, thank you so much for tuning in and we will see you next week with a brand new episode.